1: Let me see, 18 days left till Christmas. I hope everybody's got their Christmas shopping done. I, as usual, have not. No, I wait till the very last minute, hoping there's going to be a sale at the Quickie Mart. You know, sometime shortly after midnight, so I can run home, wrap everything. I'm just kidding you. Yes, Laura and I have finished our Christmas shopping. And I still wonder why, oh why, we do it. (laughs) Yeah, Christmas is for kids. Let's face it, gang. So, you know, um and by the way, if there's some way that each and every one of you can dig down a little deeper into your pockets or check out your food closets or cupboards to see if there's anything that you can put into a box or maybe there's some some blankets, some socks, some winter clothes that don't fit you or the children anymore that you could you would like to help out somebody with. At this time of year many families are are in desperate need. And uh, it's cold out there, my friends. It's cold out there. So why don't we all band together and do whatever we can to help those less fortunate. And of course, some of the best organizations are the Salvation Army, the United Way, and of course, your local fire department. There you go. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell. If you'd like to uh, send me an email, exxon at com, and all social media sites, exxonradio.tv. And of course, you can check out the programming on the Exome Broadcast Network, which we broadcast 24-7, 365 at www.xzbn.net. My guest this hour is Kristen Willemeyer. She is a neuroscientist with extensive expertise on how diet, lifestyle, nutrition, and sports-related concussions impact brain health and longevity. Dr. Kristen served as the Director of Neuroimaging Research for the Men um, Clinics from uh, 2009 to 2016, exploring the role of the brain SPECT imaging in clinical practice. She has authored and or co-authored 52 scientific publications in peer-reviewed journals. Areas of published research include traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress disorder, autism, biomarkers of suicide, obsessive um, uh, gender difference in brain function, clinical outcomes, and uh, rehabilitation. Together with colleagues, she led a clinical research trial investigating the long-term effects of repetitive subcon- uh, subconcussive impacts in NFL players. Subsequent work focused on therapeutic approaches to rehabilitation brain function in athletes. Her website doc, is uh, www.dr.com willamire.com And uh, Dr. Christian, welcome to the X-Zone.
2: Rob, it is such a pleasure to be here with you this evening.
1: Well, it's our great pleasure having you with us. The work that you and your colleagues do, oh my goodness, uh, is so, is so <laughs> fascinating. And, you know, I, I, I really don't believe there are, are a lot of people who actually understand what a neuroscientist does. So can you explain to our audience what a neuroscientist is?
2: Oh, that's the million dollar question. I think before I went into this field, I didn't know what one was either. Um, So what I did for, so I've been a neuroscientist for the past 20 years of my Mm -hmm. career. Um, The first 10 years, I worked on studying how neurons die in Parkinson's disease. Um, So I did work in a laboratory setting, and I studied a gene that was found to be mutated in the young onset form of Parkinson's disease called Parkin. And essentially what I did, so part of my work was done over at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center here in Los Angeles. I worked in the Department of Neurogenetics, and I worked in the lab creating constructs so we can actually take a piece of DNA and create the mutations that we see in some of these degenerative diseases. So I'd create the constructs over at Cedars and then I would bring them over to UCLA where I did my graduate training and take that construct and um, put it into living neurons. So in order to do that, Mm -hmm. we essentially will take the brains of rats or mice, um, dissect them dissect a very specific region of the brain that we want to look at. Say, for example, hippocampal neurons. So those are neurons that are involved in memory. And we can grow them in a culture dish. And I would take that genetic construct, Mm -hmm. put it into these neurons, and we actually have a way to um, have the neurons that have the diseased construct fluoresce. So when I look at it under a microscope, I can detect, okay, these are the healthy neurons um, versus the ones that have the diseased gene that might make um, malfunctioning protein. And then you spend lots of hours and days and weeks and months trying to determine how the signaling patterns between the neurons goes awry. that's sort of tedious work of a neuroscientist. I shouldn't say tedious because it's really fascinating um, to really understand why neurons die and what keeps them alive. So how? I spent ten years of my mm-hmm. career really doing that laboratory work.
1: How That's far has the n- question? <laughs> yeah, how far has neuroscience come in the last ten years?
2: Oh my god, we've made extraordinary advances in the last two decades. I mean, you know, given the fact that we've got um, progression of these degenerative diseases, we're Mm -hmm. starting to really understand how these diseases are impacting brain function. If I take that a step further, when I think about um, applications like machine learning, so um, the second part of my career was spent more in a uh, clinical setting working with patients and I put together a large um, neuroimaging database, which had over 125,000 brain imaging scans. And we're able to take the power of the big data and ask really interesting questions, like how do we differentiate two disorders, such as post-traumatic stress disorder and traumatic Mm -hmm. brain injury, two disorders which might have very similar um, clinical symptoms, but Are treated very differently. And through machine learning applications, we're able to take all of this data and find really specific neuroimaging biomarkers to distinguish them. So that's just one of the incredible advances that we're making.
1: How has the MRI helped with neuroscience?
2: Well, MRI allows us to look at the structure of the brain. So Mm -hmm. when we do MRI images on patients, we could actually look at structure or function um, depending on what type that you get. But they allow us to see structural changes in brain function. And what's really fascinating about MRI studies is we're able to discern can we um, increase gray matter volume in the brain. So one of the aspects of neuroscience research that I really love is showing how diet and lifestyle factors can improve or enhanced brain function. And we've been able to show using structural neuroimaging techniques that um, making simple dietary changes such as increasing the amount of fish consumption that we take, um, so increasing our omega-3 fatty acids, can actually increase brain volume. And these are the kind of things that we can see using um, structural brain imaging techniques like MRI.
1: Right. You know, people seem to be living longer these days. How is this going to affect the the long term brain health?
2: Oh, you bring up such a great point. So, you know, the average lifespan of somebody living in the United States is now seventy eight years of age, mm-hmm. and. Believe it or not, it's estimated that one out of every three babies born today are expected to live to 100 years of age. My gosh. So it's crazy, right? So given this previously unthinkable milestone, we have mm-hmm. to think about protecting the long-term health of our brains. So interestingly, most people don't know that normal cognitive aging begins to take place in our 30s. And were you aware of that?
1: No, I wasn't.
2: So, the reason why this is important is understanding the importance of taking care of our brain mm-hmm. um, when we're young um, is really important to the long term health of our brain. Something that I like to share with people, and this is really what I've gleaned from doing neuroimaging work, is that diseases like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's disease. Um, can actually start in the brain two decades before you have a symptom. So if you think Alzheimer's disease typically starts at 65 years of age, to think at 45 years of age, you're starting to develop the abnormally folded um, proteins that are in the brain. You're still going through this asymptomatic phase. You're not consciously aware that this is happening um, that by the time you actually get the disease, um, it's a lot harder to slow down or reverse it. So what I like to share with people is that it's really important to start dietary and lifestyle changes very early on when you're young um, to really slow down brain aging and to help us live into our 80s, 90s, and 100s and uh, with healthy brain function.
1: Somehow I don't think McDonald's, Arby's, Wendy's, and all the other fast food chains that are out there uh, fall into a proper dietary classification.
2: No, but you know, I will say I applaud their efforts Mm -hmm. at attempting to change their menus and offering um, healthier selections and salads and cleaner foods because I think we're all acknowledging that um, having excess saturated fats and trans fats in our diet and excess sugar is really promoting inflammation in our brain and body and if we think about it inflammation is the foundational element to all diseases in the body
1: so i guess the day of going to mcdonald's buying a big mac and running it over with your car to to you know to grease the undercarriage of your car (laughs) are soon to be over right
2: Well, I don't know if they continue to make um, healthier choices, you know, if we can get grass-fed,
1: you
2: know, beef that are um, free of hormones and antibiotics. I mean, I'm really open to people making changes. And, you know, the corporations are being forced to do this because I think we're just becoming a more health-conscious society. Wouldn't you agree?
1: I certainly do, doctor. And you and I have to take our first commercial break. Please stand by. Thank you so much for joining us. Exonation, our guest this hour is Dr. Kristen Willemeyer, Kristen Willemeyer, I should say. And if you'd like to find out more about the good doctor, www.drwillemeyer.com. This is the Exxon. I am Rob McConnell, and we're coming to you from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Right here on the Exone Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, the mutual broadcast network. Let me see. What else can I throw in there to help somebody? Out? Oh, here we go. The Digital Satellite Network and the Digital Broadcast Network and, of course, our good friends at iHeartRadio. Send me your emails, exxon at TV.com And uh, to one and all, Merry Christmas. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Kristen Willemeyer is our very special guest. She is a neuroscientist, and her website is drwillemeyer.com. Tell me, doctor, you know, it's, it's great that we're living to the older ages that we are, but are, 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 are our bodies made to live that long, or does the body start dying before the brain does?
2: Oh, that's a really good question. Well, I think it's all in how Mm -hmm. you approach your lifestyle. So, you know, our brain matures and is in this beautiful growth phase till about the age of 25. Then when we hit 25, as I was mentioning in the previous segment, we start to get this loss of neurons that happen continually over time. I think if we're really smart and proactive in our mm-hmm. approach to being healthy, eating clean foods, um, getting daily exercise, um, we can really help to slow down this degenerative process. Um, so I think, again, it's about taking a proactive approach because there are healthy centenarians. I mean, haven't you seen that? You know, people that are running marathons in their eighties, mm-hmm. and you know, we are living longer and having better quality of life. So I think it's very possible to, to slow down this aging process um, if we're very proactive in our approach.
1: But isn't the longer lifetime going to be one heck of a draw on the, the economy of society?
2: It, it is an extraordinary burden. So when I think about um, Alzheimer's disease, mm. for example, you know currently 5.1 million Americans are living with the disease But it's expected to triple um, by 2050. So and then we have dementia, you know, dementia is more of an umbrella term um, that really represents a cognitive decline. And they're saying that we have 50 million people worldwide that have dementia. So because we have these progressive neurodegenerative disorders that are in our population and they're Sucking our economy dry. So, in 2015, the United States spent 818 billion dollars um, on treating Alzheimer's oh disease, gosh. and in 2018, yeah, it's expected to reach one trillion. So, I think we have to be. Um, I think we have to really take this thoughtful approach. Again, what can we do at our younger ages when we're healthy? Um, and we have the ability to make choices to help support and preserve our brain health, Um, instead of waiting until we're 60 or 65 when we find out that we have these diseases of aging, um, it becomes much harder, again, to reverse or slow down the progression. So, you know, based on the work that I've done and all the patients that I've worked with, either these early, um, early interventions can really have... To really change the trajectory of your life.
1: How close are we to finding a cure for Alzheimer's?
2: Ooh, you asked a million dollar question. Um, so, right now, we're not really at a point where there's a cure, and um, the medications aren't uh, very helpful. I mean, they help um, alleviate symptoms, but they really aren't helping to slow down the disease progression. So I think when we're thinking in terms of the cure, it's more about taking a proactive approach to supporting your brain function instead of, you know, what can we do to cure it? Um, You know, we're still figuring out um, ways that we can accurately diagnose it um, while people are living instead of at autopsy. And um, this is where. Looking at biomarkers in the cerebrospinal fluid to help us understand, you know, the accumulation of these misfolded proteins. Um, are they there? And you know, what's the severity level? And I will tell you, and I think this is something your audience would be really intrigued to know about. Um, there is a new retinal imaging modality um, that's being going through clinical trials but we're actually able to see the plaques that form during Alzheimer's disease in the eye. So can you imagine, say, in the next five to 10 years, you could go to your ophthalmologist, mm-hmm. have a 20-minute eye test, and be able to um, see if you have the formation of these plaques in the brain. So I think you know the, the testing to be able to show mm-hmm. that we have it at earlier stages will help people to then Go ahead and make the lifestyle changes that can help uh, protect your brain health.
1: That's that's a rather unique situation because somebody goes to the ophthalmologist, they take the scan, they're diagnosed with you know the onset of Alzheimer's, and then what do they do? How does this affect their well, their psyche, knowing that I think they you, they have the bring, disease, but there's no cure.
2: I think you bring up a great point. So what we might be able to say is. Noticing that there's the presence of these mm-hmm. misfolded proteins. So I think that's the part where we say, "Okay, we're noticing they're here." And then you look at, do I have a family history of it? Is there a genetic history of it, in my family? Um again, when we think about Alzheimer's disease, we want to take that proactive sure. preventative stance. and, I think that's where the testing can be helpful. I think the same thing goes with genetic testing. You know, people are very afraid to find out, do I have a mutation in a gene that's going to give me a degenerative disease? So um, it it is true when you think about the impact of that on the psyche. Some people might say, I'd rather not know.
1: (laughs) And I can understand that. You know, I can understand that. I can appreciate that. But I I am... I am amazed at the work that you as a neuroscientist and the fellow researchers on how hard you are trying your very best to, to make a positive difference in the lives of people. So thank you for the great work that you do.
2: Oh, thank you so much for that. That's, I really appreciate your kind words.
1: Is, let me ask you this. Is Alzheimer's, is it passed down throughout the family? Is it a genetic disease?
2: So there are um, genes that have Mm -hmm. been found to be mutated that cause Alzheimer's disease, um, particularly in the ApoE4 allele. Um, But again, a majority of the cases tend to be sporadic but just occur naturally, which is why um, we want to really highlight, you know, if you start prevention early, if you start doing the changes in your diet and lifestyle Mm -hmm. um, in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, you could really stave off the onset of the disorder. So instead of getting it 65, maybe you wouldn't get it until 85.
1: Well, that's pretty And I good. think
2: that's the way we have to, to change our thinking around these um, degenerative processes happening in the brain.
1: Okay, so how do we start changing? How do we start looking at life in a way that would be productive to us in a in a positive manner, yet not altering our lifestyle totally. For example, let's take diet. What would you suggest a proactive diet would be?
2: Well, I think the first step is, you know, in our clinic we would always say you cannot change mm-hmm. what you don't measure. So sure. the important thing is look at your body mass index and see if you're overweight.
0: Oh, I If am. you are
2: overweight or obese and a a majority of people are unfortunately and that's where um it's really important to just find that out so Mm -hmm. the first step is so you look at your body mass index and then you go and get your blood glucose levels tested so you see are you pre-diabetic or diabetic Um, and you can also look at hemoglobin a1c levels so hemoglobin a1c allows you to measure the amount of glucose that's been in your blood. Um, for the last two to three months. So getting some some markers to just say, okay, if we're overweight or obese or diabetic or pre-diabetic, we need to change the diet. So if we need to change the diet, um, what I typically recommend to patients, and I used to teach a weight loss group at our clinic, I taught it for seven years straight, uh, because we realized Um, obesity impacts brain function. Mm -hmm. We showed through our brain imaging work that can actually help reduce perfusion or blood flow in the frontal lobe, the area of the brain that's involved in higher level thinking and decision making. So um, we really thought, okay, we have to teach people how to eat. So where do you start? Number one, I tell people to try and eat living foods, foods that have a high enzyme content, preferably raw, uncooked foods that are rich in antioxidants. So think organic fruits and vegetables. Think whole grains like oats and quinoa or seeds and nuts. Um, You know, think about the leafy greens that are rich sources of oxygen. Um, These are really good for your brain health. Think dark green leafy vegetables like kale, broccoli, and spinach. So um, you start with just increasing fruit and vegetable consumption. Um, two, you start to drink more water. So most people don't realize that they're walking around dehydrated. Mm-hmm. Um, the body's 75% water, but the brain's 85% water. Wow. So when we're dehydrated, the brain's the first organ to feel it. And that's where we get symptoms like headaches, fatigue, anxiety. Um, so we go there. Next, we start to clean up the foods that we're eating. So you want to reduce foods that are allergenic, um, for example, dairy, soy, um, corn, wheat, and eggs. I know all the good stuff, right? (laughs) So we want to reduce the foods that can cause an allergic response in our body. Um, We'd want to reduce consumption of refined sugars, like all the good cookies and cakes and candy, um, because that weakens the immune system, Um, depletes the body of minerals and leads to diabetes and weight gain. So, you know, we want to minimize um, things that are harmful to the brain, Um, alcohol. So alcohol is not a health food. Um, Many times when we would work with patients, you know, if we work with somebody who is healthy, Mm -hmm. you know, one to two glasses per week is fine. But um, if you're overweight, if you have any sort of disease process in the body or you want to Uh, Optimize brain function, uh, we would always recommend refraining from alcohol until you get to a healthy body mass index. Um, You're not diabetic. You know, we get all of your lab values in a healthy range. Um, So these are just simple things that you can do. You know, you want to limit the consumption of red meat. Um, A lot of times the meats contain high amounts of fats and cholesterol and pesticides and hormones. So just a really clean diet. Now, but think the Mediterranean diet. That's very effective at helping people to stay lean. You get the healthy nutrients that you want. You don't have the overconsumption of foods that can be harmful to your brain and body health. And, you know, by following these recommendations, um, you can really make a tremendous difference in your brain health.
1: Doctor, please stand by. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exonation our guest of this hour is Dr. Christian. Kristen. I don't know why I say Christian. Ah, oh, Steve Benedict's <laughs> daughter's Christian. There you go. Kristen ah. Willemeyer is her name, and her website is www.drwillemeyer.com. This is the Exone. I am Rob McConnell. And here's a programming note for one and all. From the twenty-third, I'm sorry, from the twenty-fourth of December at eight A.M. until the following. Christmas is 25th until noon at the 26th. We will be playing Christmas music. Isn't that strange? Playing Christmas music during the Christmas holidays. That's a programming note, and that's going to be on all the XZBN channel networks. This is the X Zone, and we will be back on the other side of this break as we continue from our broadcast center right here in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. And welcome back, one and all. Doctor Kristen Willemeyer is our special guest. What kind, what kind of dog do you have, Doctor?
2: Oh, I'm so sorry. Don't that be, is Oscar, my rescue. He's uh-huh. an Australian Cattle Dog, and I sometimes think of him as my chief security officer, ah, <laughs> providing never, protection.
1: Never apologize for for uh, a dog because one of the jobs I was contracted to do through Relmar was as the director of communications for the SBCA. And I love Aww. dogs. And, uh, you know, my hat and my heart always goes out to the men and women who do so much at the rescue centers as well as the SBCA. Right here at home, we have three little girls. You know, our, um, mm-hmm. our children are married and they have grandchildren. So it kind of got lonely here in the home front. So Laura and I went out and we adopted three little girls.
2: Oh, bless your heart. I love you for that. (laughs) thank you.
1: Let me ask you a question, doctor. During the the course of your research into Alzheimer's, is there any place on this planet that is Alzheimer's free?
2: Ah, that's such a good question you bring up. Yes, there are areas called blue zones, which are... um, we consider those areas where people are living mm-hmm. um, into their hundreds, living very healthy, and we're doing research to really understand what is it about these areas that helps people live these long, healthy lives, um, <laughs> sort of free of degenerative disorders. One of them happens to be right here in California, where I live near Loma Linda University. So um, researchers are really. Looking at the effects of diet and lifestyle factors and how they're contributing to support this long, healthy um, extended brain function.
1: Is there any connection between the increase of Alzheimer's and the increase of microwaves and other um, other systems that are used for uh, cell phone communications broadcasting?
2: Oh, that's another great point that you bring up. Um, so I was really fascinated in understanding the impact of uh, these waves mm-hmm. on brain function. And there's a wealth of information in the research literature starting to show the effects of cell phones on cell um, Brain tumor mm-hmm. formation or tumor formation in the body. So I'm not quite sure of the impact as it relates to Alzheimer's disease, um, but I'm very aware that um, you know having these sure. wireless communication devices and keeping them too close to our body, um, especially our brain, is is a health risk. And that's why when I work with patients, I teach them, for example, on cell phones. You know, use the speakerphone. Yes. You know, um, try not to put it up to your head. Try not to mm-hmm. keep it in your pocket, or don't put a, a laptop on your body. Yeah, um, because it it does have the impacts, and I'm sure you've done some wonderful shows on this.
1: Y- yes, we have. And uh, when you were talking about, you didn't know what one of the the factors are concerning the blue zones. My producer, Craig. Uh, in my uh, headphone says that's because they don't watch CNN. Nice, Craig. Really nice.
2: <laughs> Good point.
1: <laughs> Let's talk about. It's true.
2: Uh, we want we want to yeah. minimize uh, exposure to technology and negative
1: news. <laughs> so there you go. Let's talk about uh, the work you're doing with uh, with sports injuries when it comes to the mm-hmm. uh, the brain, because I you know sports injuries concussions are becoming it's no longer kept in the closet. It's it's coming out, and there's a lot been a lot of good publicity on the the effects of of concussions in not only the NFL, the CFL, but other sports. How far, you know, like what what can you tell us about that aspect of neuroscience?
2: Well, I'll tell you, and, and this is really personal to me. Um, back in 2009 is when we started our uh, neuroimaging study in professional athletes. And what we did was we looked at um, the effect of repetitive subconcussive impacts on the long-term brain function of these players. And we happened to recruit 100 players who were either active or retired. Um, they were as young as 25 and as old as uh, 85. And we just wanted to ask the question, you know, does playing this sport cause brain damage. And back in 2009, nobody had done a functional imaging study looking at it. You know, here we are 2017 and it's, you know, now we have the concussion epidemic. So, you know, what our research clearly demonstrated is that playing these collision-based sports cause global perfusion deficits in the brain. And really, in layman's term, that means, you know, when we see low blood flow throughout the brain, um, ultimately, structural changes are going to follow. And this is why we're seeing the presence of this um, degenerative disease process called chronic traumatic encephalopathy in these players. So what was fascinating about the work we did, and this is why I get so excited about teaching people about protecting your brain health mm-hmm. is we took a subset of those players. Um, we offered all of them the opportunity to go on a brain rehabilitation program, which was, again, I taught a weight loss group for those who were uh, overweight or obese um, to really just educate them on how to eat clean foods and exercise and take care of their brain. Um, but we gave simple nutrient recommendations. I mean, I'm talking a brain-directed multivitamin, omega-3 fatty acids, and a brain support nutrient. Um, and we found these very simple interventions could rehabilitate brain function in these players. We were also able to use more advanced technologies like neurofeedback, which essentially helps neurons to communicate with one another in the brain, so helping to restore the neuronal Connectivity and advances like hyperbaric oxygen therapy, which can actually regrow blood vessels in the brain. Wow. So it was the first time I had seen and was excited to see that we had the capability of helping to reverse and restore brain function. And these athletes who had had, um, I'm sorry to say, I mean, their brains just looked destroyed. <sighs> And so there's really something positive that's coming out of this, if if we want to kind of take that approach. Um, But, you know, the the issue of chronic traumatic encephalopathy, I mean, now, um, you know, the work of Dr. Ann McKee, the neuropathologist over at Boston University, she's the director of the chronic traumatic encephalopathy brain bank. Um, Currently, she has out of 111 NFL players, 110 tested positive for CTE. Oh my gosh. You know, we're seeing it, we're seeing it in athletes as young as 17 years of age. So what I like to teach people is that essentially CTE is like getting an Alzheimer's disease. You know, we're seeing it in the Mm -hmm. brains of these 40 year olds instead of, you know, when we would typically see a degenerative disease in the population, which is more around the age of 65. So, I feel like it's an eye opener, and it's it's really important because we've got all of our, our children who are playing these collision based sports, whether it's football or rugby or um, ice hockey. You know, we're seeing it happen across multiple sports. And just because you play a collision based sport doesn't mean that you're going to get CT or you're going to have it. I mean, you really have to have these repetitive hits. Over time, you know we're talking 5, 10, 15 years, but you know understanding and studying this particular form of degenerative brain disease I think is really going to help to illuminate new areas of research um, in support of early detection of disorders like CTE and Alzheimer's as well as brain rehabilitation strategies.
1: You were mentioning before that there are methods to restore the connectivity of the neurons. Would this technique also be applied or applicable, or has it been applied to people with MS?
2: Oh, that's a very good question. You know, I don't know, you know, MS. One thing that really is helpful for people um, who have MS mm-hmm. is going on an anti-inflammatory diet, yeah. <laughs> believe it or not, in the, some of the patients that I've worked with. But the um, the techniques that can help restore the neural connectivity I would say neurofeedback, um, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with what that is. No,
1: I'm not. Um, Could you explain literally... it to us?
2: Yeah. So so what I love about neurofeedback, mm-hmm. what you initially do before you do that therapy is we do something called a quantitative EEG, where we can put a cap on your head mm-hmm. um, and measure the brainwave activity. And so the leads that go along your brain are essentially measuring the activity um, along the scalp, but it also informs what's going on deeper in the brain. And then we create these beautiful maps that are highly individualized, very unique to your brain function. Then somebody who's trained in neurofeedback can take your results. They will look to see how your results are different from a normative database, so how different are you from, you know, healthy controls right. and they can take the leads, place them very specifically along your scalp, put it, frontal lobes, temporal lobes, and work to retrain. We literally get the brain to retrain itself um, and establish these connections. And we have this wonderful phrase in neuroscience where we say neurons that fire together wire together. So we like to think of neurofeedback as a way of going to the gym for your brain. So if we now want to apply that to MS, Mm -hmm. I think, again, we would want to say, you know, what is that unique individual's um, deficits, and could we use neurofeedback to help um, support, optimize their brain function to healthier levels? So I would say the short answer is yes.
1: Can neurofeedback also be used to grow back? Um, nerve systems for example if somebody has had a an injury that has severed a part of the spinal cord or nerve would this process mm-hmm. be able to help grow that nerve back and once again bring forth the use of that nerve you know making people walk again who have had for example uh, the injuries where they they can't walk because of the nerve damage
2: sure I think all of it can help. So neurofeedback can Mm -hmm. help. Um, Doing different kinds of physical therapy can help. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting about physical therapy, when you talk about somebody who's got severed or damaged neurons, Mm -hmm. um, people need to understand that movement, um, movement of the body helps to strengthen connections in the brain. And this is where I get so excited about exercise and teaching people to change up their exercise, whether it's running or cross training or dancing, or for example, um, somebody who has Parkinson's disease. Um, Parkinson's disease, you lose neurons in the substantia nigra. Um, that's an area of the brain. All right, which doctor. Is I hate to do
1: this. In... To, I hate to do this to you because I. Oh, I, I love what you're talking about. It's very uh, close to me. I'll
2: hold the thought. <laughs>
1: Thank you very much, ma'am. Exonation. Our guest this hour is Doctor Kristen Willemeyer, www.drwillemeyer.com dot com and the good doctor and i return as we wrap up this hour here in the x-zone from our broadcast center in hamilton ontario canada if you'd like to send me an email once again my email address is x at x-zone radio tv.com we'll be back on the other side of this break whatever you do do not go away because we're in touch with santa claus so if you go away guess what happens christmas eve uh-uh he doesn't go to your house we'll be back don't go away
2: is under ever-increasing pressure from untenable lifestyles and growing populations, yet viable answers seem in short supply. What if I told you there's an ancient form that can empower you to take charge of your life? What if your entire family could be enfolded and supported by life itself, finding safe passage through challenging times? I'm Gwelda Wiecka, founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Art School with Great News, an upcoming series of leading-edge online affordable classes based in an ancient form of shamanism easily learned and used by your entire family.
1: Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. And welcome back, everyone. Uh, Dr. Kristen Willemeyer is our very special guest, www.drwillemeyer.com, and... um I must tell you uh, a little bit of history on why neurosciences is one of the most important and most interesting topics to me. I was part of the International Institute for Spinal Regeneration here in Hamilton. Uh, the senior researcher uh, of the project was Dr. Michael Rathbone, who is a professor and one of the senior uh, neurologists within the Hamilton Health Sciences. And. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, having, yeah. having, having done work with the SBCA, and, you know, if, if I wanted to raise thousands of dollars to help the SBCA, all I had to do was go down to a TV station and hold a puppy in my hand. And by well, the time yes. I would get back to the, to the office, thousands and thousands of dollars would have been donated. Mm-hmm. Yet when it came to raising money, research into helping people regain their walking ability again, or, or anything mm-hmm. to do with neuroscience, it was next to impossible.
2: Yeah, it, you have to touch on the hearts. The people that tend to donate are yeah. the ones who either are afflicted with the disorder, or have family or yeah. friends that are afflicted. So it really is interesting. and uh, And I can understand, you know, animals touch our hearts, you know, animals represent unconditional love and you know we're so connected to them so it's true it's so easy to give to that but you're right we have to create special days like a breast cancer awareness day in order to raise money for Mm -hmm. breast cancer and alzheimer's awareness day and it's you know we really do need the funds for the research because we're making some extraordinary advances and we don't want to have to wait until somebody's entered to be able to Um, help make these groundbreaking advances.
1: How can we help the youth of today and the youth of tomorrow Mm -hmm. to understand the importance of the changes that you and I have been talking about over the past hour?
2: Well... With respect to living a longer, healthy lifestyle, yes. it's funny. The youth of today, now, this is a very different culture than when I grew up. So I will disclose that I am 45 years of age. Oh, you're um, still I a baby. Up, you're
1: still a baby. I, I,
2: I do feel like I'm a very young. Um, but, you know, with 20 years of neuroscience training under yeah. my belt, I realized I did not grow up with technology the way kids today are. So you brought up such a great point where... We've got four and five-year-olds who are holding cell phones, Yep. right? So there's all of this exposure to EMF that I didn't have growing up. I never grew up watching television. I was actually not allowed. You know, my mom let me watch like one hour uh, a week of television. I had to go out and play sports yes. and be active. So we have all of these kids who are on the computer, mm-hmm. who are using social media to connect with people. So it, it and then if I just step back and go, look at our changing environment, Mm -hmm. we now have GMOs that are part of our food source. And so we've got these GMOs that are very harmful to our brain and body health that we didn't have 20, 30 years ago. So really, there are so many changes. And I think, you know, if I were to look at, you know, the thing that I would be most concerned about, it's the EMF exposure and the exposure to um, cell phones and radiation that We have to be really mindful of in addition to just being smart, you know, staying lean. I mean, the one thing I would teach patients that I work with or teaching these weight loss groups, staying lean and having a lean body frame is so important in your overall brain and body health because inflammation, again, is the trigger for all of these diseases. Learning how to eat healthy and make healthy food choices. It sounds so simple, Mm -hmm. but it's not. People go out to fast food restaurants, yeah. they eat foods out of a box. So just if you're a parent, model great behaviors for your kids because your kids will do what you do. You know, limit the the caffeine consumption, the five-hour energies and Red Bull. I mean, now we're sort of an overstimulated culture with the social media and the Twitter and the Facebook and know, everybody's on TV and everybody's mm-hmm. drinking too much caffeine and all of this excess stimulation is not um, helpful for optimal brain function. You know, finding time to um, reduce your stress and sit in peace and quiet, learning to calm your system down, learning techniques like meditation. People have no idea meditation can literally change your brain function. It helps improve Frontal lobe functions, you're able to actually focus and get things done. Um, we've done brain imaging studies on this. So it's lifestyle changes and get your sleep. I don't think people realize how important sleep is to restorative health.
1: And you know, I'm just listening to you. It's a wonder I've lived this long because everything yeah. that you're saying, <laughs> you know, to do, should do, I, I get three, four hours sleep a night. I don't know how many cups oh of my coffee. Gosh. Yeah, because, you know, I, I do a morning show. So I have to get to the studio at 5 o'clock in the morning to go on air from Mm 7 until 9. And then everything else that I do around here, I get home and I am keyed up. So if I get home, Mm -hmm. let's say, at 1 o'clock, what I do now is I walk into the living room. I get myself a big glass of water. I shut off all the lights and I just sit in in the silence, in the darkness. And I just let my brain empty out.
2: I love it. That's a great step. And and the one thing that I don't think people realize, and this is maybe a pearl of wisdom that I'd like to impart to your community Mm -hmm. of listeners, working in the field of functional brain imaging and having seen thousands of brain images over time, we tried to create just a healthy database of healthy people. It took us 10 years to find 100 healthy individuals that had beautiful perfusion to the brain. So- I've been on the side as a scientist to see a lot of our bad habits that we do, they're impacting blood flow to the brain. And if we're having decreases in blood flow to very critical areas of the brain and we don't do anything to change our habits, we're going to lose those neurons. So this is why I'm so just proactive and I get so excited about teaching people, change your habits today. One small change today that you do consistently over time can completely change your brain health. So let me just give you one quick example. Oh, please. Um, when I'm helping people to get healthy, mm-hmm. um, drinking soda. If you stop drinking soda, you know, a lot of people drink a soda a day. That's just normal to many people. That can take 20 pounds off of your body in the course of a year and help. Again, we're reducing that. Um, processed sugar that's in your brain and body, and it can have a tremendous impact on your health. So what I like to tell people is do one thing, whether it's take a brain nutrient, drink a green juice, um, get the right amount of water in each day, just one thing and do it consistently over time. And that can be enough to make a significant change in your brain function.
1: When you were talking about the, um, excuse me, the omega-3s, are are you talking about ingesting the omega-3 by eating fish or do the supplements also work?
2: you can do both so I prefer people to get omega-3 fatty acids from natural sources, mm-hmm. which is why eating fish two to three times per week, so think wild salmon or cold water fish like mackerel, sardines, tuna, or trout. Um, but for those who don't eat fish or who are vegan or who are concerned about mercury contamination, I would highly advise supplementing with omega-3 fatty acids to support your brain health and longevity just because every living cell in the body requires the omega-3 fatty fatty acids. So so we need this for our brain health. And working in a clinical setting where we actually test people's omega-3 fatty acid levels, I would say of the people were deficient in omega-3 fatty acids. And until they supplemented, we recommend one to two grams per day if you're healthy, but you might need as many as three to five grams per day if you've had a history of traumatic brain injury or perhaps mental health issues that you're working on correcting. So it really is an essential component to a brain-healthy lifestyle.
1: Truly fascinating. Doctor, as always, whenever I have an interesting guest on like you that is making a positive difference in the world that we live in, thanks to you and the other researchers and other members of the medical community who, in my opinion, do not get the accolades and the laurels that you people deserve. Thank you so much for everything you do. And I have to ask you, What are your final words of wisdom for the listening audience of the Exxon Nation tonight?
2: My final words of wisdom are love your brain. I know many of us don't look at the the organ that regulates our thoughts, behaviors, and moods. So I would say do something kind for yourself to nourish your brain, whether it's taking omega-3 fatty acids, consuming a green drink, or reducing your cup of coffee. Take one cup of coffee out per day it will reap rewards for you later on. And I thank you so much for the honor and pleasure of being able to share information with you and your audience this evening.
1: Doctor, the honor and pleasure has been all ours. And uh, Craig, the producer, asked me to ask you, does decaffeinated coffee have the same effect on the brain that caffeinated coffee does?
2: Oh, decaf versus caffeinated. So when I think about the caffeine, Mm -hmm. um, I would say... I prefer decaffeinated. I think about two things. So the caffeine help is going to constrict blood flow, and we don't want to constrict blood flow to the brain. So that's right. one of the reasons not to drink caffeinated drinks, whether it's coffee or soda. And we think about the effects on the adrenal glands. So every time you drink something that's caffeinated, You get this release of cortisol and the elevated cortisol levels over time can wreak havoc on brain function. So I would say to your producer, um, the decaffeinated coffee is best.
1: Doctor, let our listeners know how they can find out more about you and please give out your your website.
2: Thank you so much. So if you would like to contact me or ask me any questions, you can reach me at www.drwillemeyer.com. It's D-R-W-I-L-L-E-U-M-I-E-R. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that, Rob.
1: Doctor, thank you so much. And uh, to you and yours, the very best of the holidays and nothing but a fantastic, super, love-filled, and spiritual new year.
2: Oh, and I wish the same to you as well. Thank you so much and blessings to you.
1: Blessings to you too, doctor. Exonation. Dr. Kristen Willemeyer has been our very special guest. What a great lady. Follow her advice. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Dunk away.